The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. And the views of their employers do not necessarily reflect the views of the participants. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The Star Wars nerds go wild as the behind-the-scenes footage of the next installment hits Comic-Con, and... Uh, Michael actually admits that Star Trek is better. We'll introduce you to the latest and most covert member of the GNB team, gadget ninja Erin Lawrence will tell us why she won't ring Alan's doorbell. I, I didn't even see her coming. And how streaming music is killing classic rock sales. The music favored by sharks. You may be surprised to learn it's not classical. Plus, why we're spending your money and we need more of it. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. So, did you see the new behind-the-scenes of the upcoming Star Wars film? No, you know, I saw the, I saw the email, and uh, oddly enough, I clicked right <gasps> past it. So, I'm what? imagining that you will. I'm imagining that you will tell me all about it. <laughs> Why should I waste my time when I know I'm going to have to deal with it here? Oh, okay, that's a valid point. Very valid point. Having said that. The neat thing about this was at the new Comic Con, they were expecting a trailer. Instead, they got a behind the scenes peek, and I'm absolutely loving it because it really brings it back to that old school of science fiction filmmaking. In what sense? Real sets, practical effects. You've been here, but you don't know this story. Nothing's changed, really. I mean, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. That's the way you want it to be, really. The green is almost non-existent in this one compared to the predecessors. And you just know that if George Lucas had gotten a hold of this, he would have CGI'd pretty much everything. But J.J. Abrams has managed to uh, do what the Star Wars fans were worried he would do as he did with Star Trek, which was make it all CGI and uh, lens flares. Yeah, yeah, that was a problem. Although I like those films, the lens flares. Once somebody pointed them out to me, that's all I could see. It's like the guy who got himself a copy of Photoshop and learned how to use the bevel feature for the first time. Is that what it is? It's the same sort of feeling that you overuse something that works really well once. It's like if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. J.J. Abrams is lucky, though, because here he is coming at the end of a you know six films, um, the last three of which people didn't really like all that much. Uh, there is, uh, you know, heritage for this going back to 1977. We are here on day one of Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah, yeah. How incredible is that? The movie studios know that it is going to be a multi-generational, billion-dollar hit. So why not open up the vaults and give him as much money as he needs to make this an all-time classic? I mean, there were very few franchises. Maybe there are no franchises bigger than Star Wars. So why not do it right? I think we've worn the suit out probably quicker than we expected because every time you meet someone, they just want to hug you. Getting back to the old days, the old ways of doing things. 
We know that they plan to make three more films, and they they're putting the finishing touches on the one that'll come out December eighteenth, uh, shortly. So to spend the money building a life-size Millennium Falcon, why not? You're going to use it for three separate films. Well, that's true. That's true, and it's not like you don't have space for this sort of stuff. You you know go to Pinewood Studios and just put it in one of the garages. And it was also the the fact, and we saw this behind the scenes, the the creatures that they were building. They were using animatronics again, as opposed to a Jar Jar Binks relying on it all being CGI. They actually have robotic faces. Mm, that's interesting. Well, technology has come a long way since the last three movies, and certainly a long way f- uh, since the first trilogy. So. Um, why not make use of some of this stuff? You sent something. I think you were poking the bear here on this when you sent me this Slate.com article, though. Which is better, Star Wars or Star <laughs> Trek? I may have. <laughs> I may have clicked past the Star Wars trailer and right over to the Salon article on on, on which is better, and basically, uh, I, I I agree with the writer. Star Wars is fairy tale operatic storytelling, while Star Trek is more hard science. I have to I have to agree with you. <laughs> oh. I know, Mr. Star Wars Boy, who wasn't really much of a Star Trek fan, has defended on this program Star Wars versus Star Trek from day one. But I will tell you one thing. Uh, this was the premise being is that the question, which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek, appeared on the answer website Quora. And uh, John Ferreira, the American stage director, went through the whole thing. And he has a very valid point. As much as I love Star Wars, it's for kids, and Star Trek is for the more mature adult. Let's go with the original series, which was done on a shoestring, and there were some very bad episodes in the original series. But there were also some very good ones. Uh, Space Seed, which was uh, the one where we first saw Khan. Who I didn't know was the result of some sort of late 20th century eugenics. I understood your manuals. That's an overloading progress. Your ship flares up like an exploding sun within minutes. Yeah, the eugenics wars and, and, and the Superman were exiled in this on the USS Botany Bay and, and sent out into space to, you know, uh, basically deal for, with themselves. And, and, and this, you know, harkens back to, to Nazism and Hitler and the Master Aryan race and eugenics and all the rest of that sort of stuff. Another great uh, episode was City on the Edge of the uh, Forever. Uh, which was written by Harlan Ellison, a great science fiction writer. And this is where uh, Kirk and Spock have to chase McCoy back in time to to old-timey Chicago, where they have to sort things out with Joan Collins. One day soon, man is going to be able to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom. Speculation. I find her most... Uncommon, Mr. Spock. Murderers! Assassins! I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler must die. No, Jim! You sort of get the impression that at some point somebody stumbled across some good old-timey Al Capone-esque sets and in costumes and said, you know what we should do? We should, we should try to work this into the show somehow. Yeah, exactly. There was, you know, uh, an episode of The Untouchables being shot 
And it's like, you know, we're going to be not using the set for a couple of days. So you, you, you want to shoot a Star Trek episode? <laughs> yes, we do. And there you go. Star Wars doesn't have the benefit of the episodic television nature that Star Trek did, where you could build the characters up over time, address a collection of different issues and, and social ideas. You only had the three basic films, and they were meant for kids, which explains why adults never seem to like the prequels, because we were kids when we saw those movies. We were willing to suspend our disbelief on R2-D2, but not Jar Jar Binks, because we're no longer seven. Yeah. Star Wars started losing me. I didn't mind the first two movies, because I was really invested in Han Solo. He was my guy. But when we got to the Ewoks... What is it? You know, that was, you know, merchandising crap. Right, but you were old enough to be able to see through the merchandising crap. Yeah, you're right. My daughter thinks the Ewoks are absolutely adorable. She's nine years old. She doesn't really see the complexity of the merchandising crap that is the Ewoks, that is R2-D2, that is uh, the Jar Jar Binks character and all of that nonsense. Okay, I'll I'll give you that. That's a good analysis. I have to tell you, though, you know what I did do? I dropped a bundle on Star Wars paraphernalia for her. Did I tell you about this? Since when? She uh, she wanted a uh, uh, an Obi-Wan Kenobi Jedi brown robe with the hood. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We'll, we'll buy that. And so we go on the Amazon page, and sure enough, below it, it says, People who have bought this have also bought... Oh, crap. Here we go. Well, for 10 additional dollars, you can get the tunic that you wear as a Jedi Padawan underneath. So I figure, okay, what's 10 additional dollars? 10 bucks. I click it. Well, it's not the right size. We put the right size in. Oh, look at that. Now it's 40 additional dollars, and I've already committed. (laughs) But I figure at the bottom where it says people have also bought, also had lightsabers. And I thought, I'm going to stop. I'm tired of using a broom stick to teach my kid how to be a Jedi, so I I dropped the $75. On what? On a lightsaber that it doesn't retract like a lot of them do. It's not uh, articulated, but it's a single pole, but it's got the LED lights in it. It switches between (laughs) blue and red for uh, Anakin Skywalker or Darth (laughs) Vader. Okay. You can click a button, and over time, it'll switch between one and the other. Uh, and it's got the uh, the motion sensor capability. So when you wave it around, it makes mm. the noise. Mm. And if you <laughs> clash against something, it makes the clash noise. No. Totally. Okay, we gotta come. O- I, we gotta come over to the house. See, now I'm getting you into it. I'm just curious. How many do you have? Lightsabers? Yeah. Well, she's got hers and I've got mine. Okay. (laughs) The worst part, though, was that my grandfather, who was a a veteran politician in the city of Toronto, joined a bunch of of clubs and organizations. He was a member of the Knights of Columbus, and he was a member of the Order of Malta. And they had robes, ceremonial robes. And I still have my great, my my grandfather's robe. So I wore that as the Dark Lord of the Sith outfit. (laughs) The unfortunate thing is, is it's got the crest right on it. And in this 21st century world, it sort of has a vague kind of... Uh, KKK feeling? Yeah. But it, it's black, but it, it does have a weird kind Doesn't of... doesn't matter. You could black, you could be the Grand Wizard. Uh, wifey made me get rid of it. She's like, I can't, I can't see you in that. You can't. Yeah. It was perfect for Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Anytime you have a robe with a with a pointy hood, you're either in the KKK or you're a member of the band Sun O. I don't expect you to pick up that last reference, but trust me on it. 
one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. I understand your doorbell doesn't work. It works intermittently. We've had uh, an electrician here to take a look at it. He's replaced the 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 the, the button on the outside. He has uh, checked the, the bells on the inside, and uh, he says it works. But uh, the other day, a FedEx guy came by, completely missed us. He said he spray, he hit the, the doorbell, but nothing. So basically what I need is a new front doorbell. And I could go to Home Depot and I could get something, you know, for 25 bucks that may or may not work. But you know what? There's got to be something a little bit more sophisticated than having a button on the door that is hardwired to something ugly on the wall. That's why we sent Gadget Ninja Aaron Lawrence out for some recon on the Ring Smart Doorbell. Aaron Lawrence, Gadget Ninja, able to leap from Windows 8 to Windows 10 in a single bound, can insert a USB stick in a single try, and consumes bandwidth like your mother-in-law at an all-you-can-eat buffet. If you have a problem and you can't find anyone at Best Buy to help you, maybe you need (laughs) the Gadget Ninja. Any similarity to Marvel, DC Comics, or the A-Team is purely coincidental. Please don't sue us. Aaron, report. What's the functionality like? Super easy to use and really easy to follow along. You just push the bell once you install it. And it opens up a video link in HD. And if you so choose, open a two-way audio conversation with them. And this is all wireless. All wireless. Hooks up to your home's Wi-Fi. So you can be downstairs in your basement watching Game of Thrones. You can be away at the office. Either way, it'll open up the video link on your phone. You can see who's there and decide what to do about it. I like that. Ease of installation? Super easy to install. I had the app up, running, configured, and an account set up, I would say, in under two minutes. And in terms of the actual doorbell itself, I would say with the included toolkit that comes with the Ring doorbell, it was installed on my front door and secured under 10 minutes. And I would imagine there is a piece of hardware that hangs on the wall someplace that allows people just to hear it ambiently. No. So you can get an extra little chime for it. I think it's actually called the chime that will sit in your house somewhere and send, you know, that loud doorbell sound. But this doorbell is actually great for people that are working shifts. Maybe you don't want to get woken up in the middle of the day. If you've got a newborn or a toddler who's prone to waking up, you know, to loud noises, this only goes off on your phone. So that's how you get it. Okay. Ah, so that's where they get you. The add-ons. It's always the add-ons. Exactly. There's always add-ons. The the phone functionality works very well for me because I carry my phone wherever I go. Uh, Michael knows exactly the aversion my wife has to even turning (laughs) on her phone because... Her excuse is, well, if I turn on my phone, the battery will run down. See, this is the this this is why you'll never get this product. If you got this product, you'd never get another UPS delivery in your life. Your wife would never answer the door. But then the Jehovah's would leave us alone. <laughs> this product is super for screening out people you don't want because from the comfort of your chair, your couch, your bed, your office, you can you t- you don't have to wait five or ten minutes trying to get rid of some guy that you never wanted to talk to in the first place. So is this battery powered? Oh, so it's either battery powered and it's a rechargeable battery, says it's super long lasting so you can recharge it, or you can actually hook it up to the existing wiring that's already there for your doorbell and not have to worry about powering it ever. Okay, I'm sold. Uh, Where do we get these things? 
Uh, you can get it from Best Buy in Canada. It's coming very, very soon. You can also get it from Ring's website at ring.com. I'm sold. Okay, getting one. This solves my problem. Thing is, is that where I really want to see this built into is into a, like a smart lock scenario. Like there, there's a we, we saw this at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, the Okie Dokies. And what I really liked about the Okie Dokie idea was that it actually had a wristband for your kid. So if you had a latchkey kid scenario, you wouldn't have to worry about the kid losing the key or anything like that. They just swipe it on there. And I want that that ringer doorbell functionality built into my smart lock itself. Now you you actually reviewed this smart lock you didn't like it i did i didn't like it it was i love the idea of it i'll say this up front so i was super excited to try it out it's really buggy it doesn't work i would say for every 10 times that i hit the button to try and unlock the door it maybe opened the door four times so i'm hoping for a next generation of okie dokie smart lock but the one i've been trying out it's it's just a waste of time I have one that I use on my front door uh, with uh, Rogers Home Monitoring, and it works really well. It actually locks and unlocks your front door? Yes. Clearly, you live in a a new-build house, because in the winter, with my house settling and adjusting, the lock is way too tight in the winter for me to be able to use something like this. They don't have the, the torque necessary to turn the knob itself to be able to unlock the door in the winter. It'd be a great product to have in the summer. It'd be functionally useless in the winter. Hang on. Where's my phone? Let's just try it. You're going to lock and unlock your front door? I'm going to unlock and, okay, smart home. And it's all right on your smartphone, which means your wife is going to be absolutely useless when it comes front to... Front door is locked. Front door is unlocked. There we go. <laughs> Congratulations. Hey. Star Trek boy, how come it doesn't give you like that little Star Trek sound whenever you lock and unlock oh, it? Oh, that's true. You need that. I do need There's that. There's the functionality you're missing. Does yeah. it at least vibrate for you? No. Yeah, that, that would make people answering the door a lot more interesting. <laughs> you know, what, what I would like is, is like a, a 120 volts to go through that. Uh, through the bell? Yeah, come on in. <laughs> put, put your hand on the doorknob and let me zap you. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about everlasting life. Come on in. Aaron, before we let you go, on the Geeks and Beats website, uh, you're reporting that that uh, Tim Hortons emoji keyboard, the one that's supposed to be all Canadian, actually kind of sucks. Yeah, it does. They say it's an emoji keyboard. It's not an emoji keyboard. It's it's almost like they're putting images into your text messages as opposed to the tiny little emoji icons. And the way it works is you actually have to basically cut and paste the icons to drop them into what? your text message. No, you, no do you? Absolutely nah, you do. That's, that's not a keyboard then. Now, I don't know if this is an Apple problem, if it works just fine on some other phones, but I could not get it working for the life of me. And I tried to get some answers from Tim Hortons to see if maybe there's an update coming or, you know, they meant it to work not at all like an emoji keyboard. And I'm still waiting to hear. And on top of that, it makes you give permission to submit every single thing you ever type using that keyboard off to the uh, headquarters over there at uh, Tim Hortons. Really? Hold it. Hang on. Hang on. Uh Uh-oh. I'm deleting it right now. Oh, yeah. Safety issues. Safety issues. Goodbye. Delete emoji keyboard. Sorry, Tim Hortons. Click. Gone. Aaron Lawrence is the Gadget Ninja. Read more at AaronLawrence.Ninja. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Did you know that that's a domain name, Alan? I did. I wish I had one. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. 
This is a GNB News Update. So we're holding our hands out again over at the Geeks and Beats website and the Patreon system. Yeah, boy. See, this is an example of why we love our Patreon patrons, because every once in a while, something catastrophic happens behind the scenes. And this was one of those weeks. Yeah. And so uh, we appreciate uh, all the support. Uh, the premise is, is that we want you to support the show by uh, giving us a buck, maybe two, maybe five, maybe 25. And we do it through the Patreon system. And the great thing about it is it's the world's worst intern program. You don't actually do anything to contribute to the show. We take your money. With that in mind, uh, we've had uh, a whole bunch of uh, supporters over the course of the last couple of weeks on, on the site. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com, click the uh, support the show link. We'd really appreciate it if you could support us even a dollar a pop because we dropped a bundle this past week shifting from one web provider to a brand new one we're loving the new guys over at SiteGround, and we appreciate uh, all the support and help that they've given us as well with that said and done we haven't been giving anything away on the show lately so the patreon supports dried up i've got uh I've, I've i've got a meeting this week i've got a meeting this week with with a really good supplier and i think i think i convince her can convince her to give you some really cool stuff all right so we hope that you'll support the show because uh, you don't get a chance to win any of the stuff that we give away on the show unless you're a member of the world's worst intern program so again go to geeksandbeats.com for that you've spent some time analyzing the beats one playlist one of the things i'm, I'm fascinated about the new apple music is of course uh beats they're, they're, um, one of the things I'm most fascinated about regarding the new Apple Music offering is Beats One, this global always-on radio station. Their whole thing is that they're not formatted by genre. They say that their format is good music. And another way to describe what they're doing is an eclectic mix of the latest and best in music. That's no genres, no formats, no nothing. That's an interesting way to offer up music, uh, especially for an old-time radio guy, where I have always worked in an industry where radio stations are segmented by format. If you want a classic rock station, you go to a classic rock station. If you go want alternative rock, you go to an alternative rock station. If you want a pop station, you go to a pop station. And there's very little uh, crossover between the bunch. So um, this is exactly the... the so, so Apple... So Beats Music is exactly the opposite of this. This is looking an awful lot like a top 40 radio station. Hold on to me. Don't let me go. Who cares what they see? Who cares what they know? Your first name is free. Last name is dumb. But you still believe in where we're from. It is. Now, Top 40 in the old sense that you played the best of all the different genres, all the different other charts. Is that what you define Top 40 as? Well, back in the day, that's what Top 40 was. I always thought Top 40, the basic premise was, was that you had 40 carts, which was these, you know, eight track style looking cassettes that had the 40 top songs of the week, the month, the whatever, and you basically took one from the top, put it at the bottom. Every time you played a new one, you put it at the bottom or just worked its way up. That's a simplified way of, of, of describing it, but those 40 songs came from all the different other charts. This is why if you listen to Top 40 Radio in the 1970s, for example, you would hear a pop song, then you would hear a rock song, then you might hear a country song, then you might hear an instrumental, and then you might hear a ballad. It was the best of the best. It was the Top 40 songs regardless of format. That was the thinking. That eventually segmented and fragmented into... 
certain types of top 40. It'll be the top 40 pop, the top 40 soul, the top 40 hip hop, that kind of stuff. Top 40 alternative rock. So, so now everything is, is very, very regimented, very, very siloed. But Apple's Beats 1 does not want to participate in this whole siloing of music. They just want good music. So if we look at the uh, top 40 songs or the most played songs over the first week of Beats 1, it really does have a, a pop sort of feel. Pharrell Williams, The Weeknd, Selena Gomez, Alabama Shakes, uh, Fetty Wap, Kendrick Lamar. But then there are some rock songs in there from people like uh, Disclosure and Royal Blood. Skrillex is here, which is interesting. Uh, Courtney Barnett, um, Florence and the Machine, Mumford and Sons. You know, it's it's eclectic in the sense that you're seeing songs being put back to back that you would normally not see put back to back on a single radio station that broadcast terrestrially. So, um, and and the the number of plays that they give their big songs. Their biggest song was Freedom from Pharrell Williams. Over 168 hours, they played that song 29 times. A typical top 40 radio station will play their big songs anywhere from 90 to 110 times a week. So the rotations on these songs are very, very low compared to a traditional top 40, which means that beyond the ones that we've got here in our list, uh, there are many, 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 many other songs that were played uh, once or twice, which adds to the variety of the sound of the radio station. And Apple Music, just the latest company, in addition to your Spotify and your RDO and others, that uh, apparently is killing online music piracy. It is. I mean, I, I've said this many, many times, that if you're still stealing music, you're kind of stupid, because there you can get access to 35 million songs for free now. Virus-free, high-quality, complete files. Uh, and if you want to pay for, you know, 10 bucks a month, what you can do is download every single one of these 35 million songs and have have them you know, listen to them uh, offline. I don't get the idea. I mean, people are still going to pirate, pirate stuff because they've gotten the habit of doing that. But there really is no need. You're going through too much effort to get those songs. You have to, you know, find them where the torrents are, you have to make the downloads, you have to seed back if you're going to do it properly. You got to make sure that the metadata is proper, uh, properly encoded. You have to make sure that you've got the right artwork. Uh, is, is there some sort of virus issue with what you're getting? All that stuff. If, if you've got the time, fine. But it's just, why? So where is the actual data that suggests that it, piracy is on the decline as we see growth in streaming audio? Well, this seems to be coming from the music industry itself. Every once in a while, they will say, oh, you know, 20% or 50% or 75% of all the music that's out there is pirated. Well, I, I'm wondering what their definition of piracy is sometimes. Because if you go to uh, like a torrent site and you steal a whole bunch of albums, okay, that's definitely piracy. But if a friend of yours buys a song on iTunes and then shares it with you, uh, because you can, because there is no digital rights management on any songs anymore. Do they consider that to be piracy or is that just music sharing? You know, I, I don't know where they're coming from. And they're always going to complain. The, the industry is always going to complain that piracy is killing them. 
And this is something that goes all the way back to the 19, 1920s, as a matter of fact, because remember that when radio stations started playing records on the air, the record industry went absolutely ballistic. They thought that this was a form of piracy because if you were going to be playing this music on the radio for free, who was going to go out and buy these records? Well, we're finding that's, in fact, the case with classic rock. Well, the classic rock is an interesting situation. If Once upon a time, if you were a, a big artist in the 60s, 70s, even the 80s, and you had a massive album, let's take um, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, for example. You can go was so big that you could guarantee to sell copies, uh, millions of copies, every single year, year in and year out. The Beastie Boys, for example, their License to Ill album was one of the greatest catalog albums of all time. The Doors used to sell a million copies of each of their albums every single year because people would rediscover and rediscover the Doors and go out and buy those records. That's not happening anymore uh, as a result of streaming. 390 million tracks sold in the United States digitally in 2011. Now that streaming has become common, that has been cut by about 150 million, 252 million in total. Right. If I'm all of a sudden curious about a Queen record, I'm not going to go out and buy it or I'm not going to go out and download it. I'm just going to stream it. And that's going to cut into those that annuity payment that a lot of these classic rock artists had become used to. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. We've become almost evangelical on the Geeks and Beats podcast for earplugs. You go to a concert, you want to protect that hearing, filter out the, the, the deep bass, the high end, clear it all out actually wake up the next morning being able to have a conversation with somebody without the tinnitus taking over. However, you have found a new gadget from Doppler Labs that takes the idea of improving your hearing to a whole new level. Yeah, I, I was very happy for my earbuds, these uh, earplugs these past week, uh, this past week, because I went to two U2 shows and one Foo Fighter show, and they were all very, very loud. But <laughs> at the end of it all, my hearing was absolutely fine. No ringing, no muddy sound in my ears the following mornings. Now, Doppler Labs... Uh, is is one of these companies that's taking the earplug and trying to make it a lot better. They don't want to block out all the natural noise and all the other stuff that you hear as you go about your business. They would like to change the sounds that are coming in. They would like to customize what you hear. It's basically EQ for your daily life. Right. Imagine you're on an airplane and behind you is a baby crying. What if you could put something in your ears that would allow you to hear everything else around you but the baby crying? This sounds like a combination of uh, noise-canceling headphones and the old um, parametric EQ uh, equalizers. I'll have to trust you on that. Yeah, uh, there there were two types of equalizers. There was the graphic equalizer, which is the one that looks like a graph when you you know put the sliders up and down. But then there was there's the 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 parametric equalizer, which allowed you to zoom in on a particular frequency and really really tune how much 
or how little of that frequency you wanted to hear. So you're not actually eliminating the baby crying from your field of hearing. All you're doing is tuning out those higher end frequencies of which the baby would be crying. Yeah, exactly. So this it, it's like very sophisticated noise canceling headphones, which are just simply out of phase uh, signals that you know wipe out everything else that's coming into them. So um, this is rather interesting. I would like to try a pair of these, especially since I've got a lot of I got more travel coming up in front of me. Like oh god. Well, you might very well be able to because they've got the cash necessary to get this thing to market. They uh, announced a seventeen million dollars Series B investment round designed specifically to get these little earbuds, which basically look like earplugs, but then they've got maybe. Uh, a round white mint sized disc on the outside. It looks like you're sticking Mentos into your ears. Exactly. Uh, and so the uh, the idea here is that with the 17 additional millions of dollars in walking around money that they've got, that was originally, if I recall correctly, a, sti- a Kickstarter campaign. Yep. Uh, they uh, will be able to bring this to, to, to market. And you're, you'll, you'll use your smartphone to tune in and out various levels and sounds. Here's the other interesting these things will do. They can also add features, add sounds like sound effects. So if you, for whatever reason, wanted to hear the world with reverb, you could. If you wanted to add echo to whatever's playing around you, you you could. Um, and then what you could do is sit in a concert hall or sit in, a, in an arena and using a smartphone application, tune your earplugs exactly to your tastes when it comes to listening to a concert. I think this is really cool. This sounds like it could be useful for not just someone who wants to tune out certain elements of hearing, but for people with hearing aids themselves. I don't know that much about that technology other than to say that I know that higher pitched noise, like the, the clatter of a uh, of cutlery in a restaurant is just like nails on a chalkboard. Oh, I can't stand that. That that drives me nuts. To anyone who's got those uh, hearing aids. So to be able to take this technology and apply it to that where you can say, okay, I don't want to hear the high end of things or I want to tune in the lower end or I just want to sound like I'm walking through Carnegie Hall. You could do it with, with these things. I wonder if you could tune out your wife. <laughs> All right, Archie Bunker. <laughs> you cannot tell her I said that. You no. cannot say anything. No. I can imagine, though, that Trent Reznor would like to tune out some silly Alberta politicians. Oh, this is fantastic. Okay. Politicians are supposed to be guardians of the law, correct? Oh, are you coming down on this? I'm I'm just saying that there was something silly that was done here. So Alberta Premier Rachel Notley got together with the mayors of Edmonton, a guy named Don Iveson, and Calgary, Nahid Neshi. Uh, Neshi is insanely popular, not just in Alberta, but... No, 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 no. The guy's... He is. The guy's a rock star. And they created a, a, a new initiative. It's called Building Alberta Together. And so some staffer, you know, that wasn't any of these three people, but some staffer suggested that they create some special T-shirts to highlight this 
uh, Notley, Iveson, Nenshi connection. You mean to tell me that you don't think that these three ultra hip politicians would be capable of coming up with a nine inch nails logo ripoff? Uh, absolutely. So they, they created these t-shirts that said N-I-N, uh, Notley, Iveson, Nenshi. It looks just like the nine inch nails logo, the N-I-N in a box. Yeah, the inverted N on the second one. And the inverted N on the, on the right hand side. And uh, they they proudly displayed this stuff online. It got back to Trent Reznor, and there were some emails back and forth saying, "Um, you know that that's a trademarked thing. We have the copyright on that. They've been basically hit with a cease and desist. (laughs) So they sent him a cease and desist, which I would too. Uh, Oh, this is, it's not like this is George W. Bush or Sarah Palin drill, baby drill, stealing some... These are actually quite left-wing politicians, generally speaking, which really you would think would fall into the bailiwick of, of a rock star. You, you, I, I, okay. Come on. Like, like, you think they're going to lose... Do you really think Trent Reznor's losing money over this? No, but I think you have to protect your property. I mean, that's a, one of the coolest uh, band logos in the history of rock. Uh, you don't want some politicians messing with it. And probably the coolest politicians in the history of provincial and municipal politics. Give them a break. <laughs> okay, fine. I, 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 I'm on Trent's side with this one, but uh, I think this is a slippery slope. The next thing you'll see is crazy politicians appropriating. Well, you did. You you did. You had Donald Trump and that whole big uh, throwdown there with, uh, what's his name? Mr. Heart of Gold. Oh, Neil Young. It's great to be in a wonderful city, New York, and it's an honor to have everybody here. This is beyond anybody's expectations. There's been no crowd like this. Apparently, he came out for his big uh, presidential announcement with a Neil Young song and didn't get permission to do that. He doesn't have to get permission to do that. That's that's uh, fair use. It, it, it annoys Neil, but uh, there's nothing in the law that says he can't use it. Well, Neil was accused of being a hypocrite because apparently he and Trump had worked together or, or had talked about funding the Pono 3D music, uh, MP3 music player with Trump cash. He never ended up doing so. So Trump accused him of being a hypocrite because he loved him one minute. And now he hates him the next. Yeah, but the Pono sucks. Nobody's going to buy a Pono. Uh, sidebar, um, can we please, can we please, please, please ensure that Donald Trump becomes the next president of the United States, that would result in four years of absolute hilarity. Do you really want that man with his finger on the button? Oh, nobody's going to let him near that button. Uh, it would just be absolutely... <laughs> It'll be a fake button. It'll be like a, a uh, one, one of those Twilight Zone buttons. Do you ever see that Twilight Zone episode where you hit the button and somebody you don't know dies somewhere? Yes, yes. And you get like a million dollars or something? like that, yeah. How to attract sharks with death metal. This is great. I don't know if you've been watching Shark, uh, Shark Week on, uh, on Discovery. I can't. Wifey hates sharks, cannot stand sharks, scared to death of sharks. The chances of being hit by a bus, I know, thousand times greater than being eaten by a shark. The only time we watch TV is when we're doing it together. We can't watch Shark Week. <laughs> so uh, some scientists, some uh, ethiologists, I guess that's what they are, were out trying, were trolling for sharks. <laughs> <laughs> they found out that playing death metal underwater actually attracts them because the low frequency tones of uh, of, of death metal uh, mimic 
the sounds of a struggling fish that could very well be eaten. What did you say someone who studies if, if, the shark is if, called? If, if theologists, you're like, what, what people study, what, what do you call it? People study fish. Um, I, I think you're right because I'm, I'm on the Wikipedia page here. It's uh, from Greek known as fish science. That's what it literally breaks down to. Probably, yeah. If theology. See? You thought I was, really? you thought I was lisping. No, yeah, I did. Huh? What did you say? The uh, band that seems to work the best for this particular band of shark hunters is uh, b- uh, Darkest Hour. What do we know about Darkest Hour? They're just a uh, they're 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 a fine band um, from uh, Washington. Um, they're technically metalcore more than anything else. Uh, they've been around since 1995. And if you ever want to go fishing for shark, take them with you. You've seen that video of the uh, the family that's uh, doing the shark tank thing, and the, the sharks come and start eating away at the actual tank itself. Yeah, yeah. I had an opportunity to go into a shark tank in South Africa, and for I think it was one hundred and fifty dollars, they would take you offshore, um, put you in scuba gear, and drop you into a, a shark t- a, a shark cage, and then throw chum in the water, and hopefully a shark would come and bang at you. Um, my wife vetoed that. It mixes two major fears, being eaten alive and drowning. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah, yeah what a way to go. I know. <laughs> eaten by a shark as you're pummeled by death metal and slowly drowning. <laughs> With Alberta politicians on the boat clapping. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.